This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and just delighted to be here with you today. I don't know what kind of a day it is for you right now, where you are, when you are listening to this, but as I record it, it is a beautiful Sunday morning here in Jersey City, 72 degrees and a cloudless sky, and I, for one, am looking forward to getting out there and taking a nice long walk, um, possibly into Hoboken and into Little City Books, which is my favorite bookstore in Hoboken. Uh, maybe if I am lucky, even with the company of my lovely husband, Mr. Lawrence Lerman. So we'll see where the day takes us. And speaking of books and bookstores, there, there is actually just so much book related stuff to talk about today. Uh, but probably the, the first thing we should talk about, uh, cause I, I don't want to, to torture you, those of you who are being tortured with the suspense of this, suspense of this any longer. I promise I'm not drunk. (laughs) I have not yet had a mimosa or Bloody Mary. I am slurring just because I'm a wonderful speaker. Um, But for those of you who have been wondering and who have been following the story, I'm pleased to report that Homer's Odyssey is officially back in print. Hooray. Um, thank you. So yeah, you can go to Amazon and buy yourself a brand new copy. You can call your local bookstore and ask them to order a copy for you if you wish to purchase it. I'm not trying to sell you copies of this book, by the way. I am just letting you know, um, because we've been talking about the fact that it's out of print, that it is now back in print. Uh, I really want to thank everybody who took the time to leave a comment or to send me an email or a message letting me know that they stood with me and that they were willing to write a letter, sign a petition, whatever it might take to to make a little noise and try to get Homer's Odyssey back in print. Um, I was able – so I think I explained this before. The agent for Homer's Odyssey is not really my agent anymore. Um, I had an agent who sold Homer's Odyssey. She worked for an agency called Writer's House – She left, she quit being an agent, and so Writer's House was still the agency of record for the book, and a different agent at Writer's House now handles the relationship with the publisher where Homer's Odyssey is concerned. I had a very long talk with him uh, about a week ago, and I also showed him many of the letters that, that, that you had sent. I know that he passed some of those along quietly and sort of low-key at Random House, and I think it was a combination of a judgment being made that the book should never have been out of print. It it continues to sell. It does not make the the New York Times bestseller list anymore, but it it does continue to sell copies. Um, But more to the point that, that there was a passionate fan base for this book 
who were willing to go to bat for it and and if need be uh, raise a little bit of a public outcry. And I think that was something they wanted to avoid. So I think it was a combination of all factors. Um, but those of you who wrote to me, even just letting me know that you were willing to help just doing that was actually incredibly helpful. And I am incredibly grateful to you. And and I kind of feel like I, I've had one of those, it's it's a wonderful life kind of moments, or, or maybe that's not putting it the right way. Um, or maybe it's more like in Tom Sawyer, where, where he sees his own funeral, right? I feel like I've, I've seen my own funeral in the sense that I, I feel like I've, I've sort of, I mean, taken it for granted is the wrong word. I, I don't promote my book's a lot or or as aggressively as maybe I should. I, I don't know. I don't really like doing that. And and those of you who are longtime listeners to the podcast will know that, I mean, obviously I've been talking about Homer's Odyssey being out of print, but generally speaking, I don't talk about my books all that much. Um, but it occurs to me, and, and not to you guys, because that would really constitute preaching to the choir, but maybe I should be talking about Homer's Odyssey a little bit more on social media and not, you know, it's not that I ever took it for granted. I, I just don't like the feeling like I'm like I'm always trying to sell somebody something. Like I'm a used car salesman or an insurance salesman. You know, there are all those jokes about uh, having having a dinner with a life insurance salesman, and and you know, I'm always trying to to sell you a policy is the point of the joke. And I never wanted to. I, I still don't want to be in that position where people are like, oh my god. All she does is try to sell you copies of her books. And and I promise, by the way, that that I'm not going to, going forward, start talking about my books or, or trying to, to hawk my books endlessly on this podcast. But somewhere in between being just an annoying, nonstop, 24-7 pitch person for the books and not talking about them at all – is probably some sort of a happy medium that I should try to settle into if for no other reason I, I just can no longer I can't take it for granted that the books will always be there if I don't do something to to fan the flames of them or to bring a little bit of attention to them on an ongoing basis. You know, it can't just be like a deathbed kind of thing. Like all of a sudden the book is in danger of of dying forever and that's when I snap into action. It probably is for the best if I talk about it a little bit more. Um, so I, I guess that's probably what I'm going to do. But but truly a huge thank you to everybody who wrote to me and who offered your support and to all of you who listen to the podcast, whether or not you reached out to me, just even even that is, you know, it's always good to be able to say that that I have an audience and that I continue to speak to people and, and that there are people who are out there listening to my message. And, and so really – Everybody played a part, um, but a really big thank you to everybody who took the time to to actually put something in writing and send that to me. I I am grateful to you. I am more grateful to you than I can begin to express here in this podcast. And thank you from the bottom of my heart, really. Thank you for for pulling for me and and pulling for Homer, who continues. It still astonishes me that that here we are. Um, some ten years after he passed away, and and he continues to be such a force for good in this world. And and I think about that all the time. Just what an improbability, this tiny little kitten down on his luck, out wandering around alone, blind, two, three weeks old, wandering the streets of Miami and that, that he should have gone on to have such an incredible life and such an incredible afterlife. It is really 
just such an amazing thing. You know, I, I don't consider myself to be a particularly spiritual person, but about as close as I get to spirituality is is when I think of all the improbable and unlikely things that had to happen in in Homer's life and in mine and in in the lives of other people to to bring us to to arrive at the point where Homer would be this incredible force for good in the world. And, um, you know, I, I am not one of those people who believes that the universe has a plan or that things always work out for the best or, or anything of that nature. And yet, when I think about Homer, when I think about the impact he has had and, and rising from such humble, not just humble beginnings, but I mean, truly where just the likelihood that he would live, what the, the odds were just for that were incredibly stacked against him. Um, it, it it really it it does kind of feel like like predestination. Uh, a number of people have written to me over the years and said, you know, you and Homer were were brought together for a reason, and I never really believed that, but I I don't not believe it either. I guess in my heart of hearts. But anyway, that's really heady stuff for a podcast, and and we're not necessarily going to go down that road now. But a big thank you again to everybody who helped save the book. And speaking of books, last time I spoke with you, it was on the eve of National Independent Bookstore Day here in the United States. And the Brooklyn Book Crawl that I participated in last Saturday. Uh, So here's what happened with that. First of all, it it was a, a great, great day. Um, my husband and I started out in at uh, the Center for Fiction in Brooklyn. And as I mentioned, they were doing a promotion where if you bought a tote bag, you could fill that tote bag with as many books from their sale and used racks as you could carry, essentially. And uh, so that was where I started the day because I wanted to make sure that I got there before those tables had been completely picked over and, and stripped of everything worth getting. Um, and, and it was great. I filled, I bought a tote bag and I really did fill it to, till it's, it seems we're nearly bursting. But of course, having done so, I was then walking through Brooklyn for the rest of the day, having started out by loading myself down with the heaviest bag of books that I was going to be able to muster. I had kind of a hope that maybe the Center for Fiction would hang on to them for me. Um, and I was going to go back at the end of the day because they were having a big end of day party and reception. Um, but they didn't want to hang on to the bag. And honestly, it's for the best, as as I will explain, because I, I don't know that I would have made it back there anyway. So my goal was to hit five bookstores over the course of the day. Um, it was a rainy day here in in the tri-state area last weekend. Again, I don't know what the weather was like where you guys were. Um, And when I say rainy, I mean, it was one of those days where it never stopped raining. Sometimes the rain would be harder than at other times, but it was never not raining. And it was kind of a bummer. You know, after we had hit three bookstores, and I was really loaded down with bags because a lot of stores were having just these great deals and all these great books on display. And honestly, I am just a sucker in bookstores. I I really – it's dangerous to just like stick a credit card in my hand and send me into a bookstore. It's a very, very dangerous proposition. And so after three bookstores and, – and we were walking from store to store um, because that had always been the plan, but – and which um, – 
on the one hand, was probably the only feasible plan because for a lot of the bookstores, there wasn't great public transportation between them. And you know how it is when it's raining that the traffic gets all snarled and traffic in Brooklyn, certain parts of Brooklyn is always bad to begin with. So sitting in a car would not have been a great option, although eventually it was an option we utilized. But for the most part, we were walking and we were getting really wet and the bags were getting really heavy. And we had plastic, I brought plastic bags to kind of wrap the books up in so that they wouldn't get wet as we were walking around. But it, it, Start. It was. I wish it had been a day like today. That would have been amazing. But it was starting to become kind of a bummer, and the bummer continued. So you know, here we were walking around all day in the rain, trudging around, lugging these heavy bags of books, and the bookstores were very, very, very crowded. Uh, which again is what you want to see on a day that is celebrating independent bookstores for sure. It was great to be. I usually like a quiet bookstore, but it was actually a lot of fun to see so many people out. And so many people excited. But of course, the next morning, I woke up with a very sore throat. Um, Not much more than a sore throat, but my sore throat persisted for several days, which is why I was unable to record a podcast last week. And I'm not really sure where I picked up, whatever I picked up. Like I said, I was out, I was running in and out of stores. I was walking around in the rain, carrying really heavy bags. So I was really exerting myself. Um... And, you know, of course, we we took the bus into Port Authority to get into, you know, and then from Port Authority, we took a train into Brooklyn. So there was a lot of public transportation involved. And I mean, Port Authority itself is is kind of a Petri dish, let's be honest. So all, all that being said, I, I it could have really been anywhere. But yeah, I picked up a little something. And certainly there are worse things that could happen. And I consider it well worth it for the great day that I had. But it did it did put a, a little bit of a crimp on my plans for a podcast last week. And for that, I apologize. I would also like to apologize if I offended any Office fans out there for the the kind of mini tirade that I went on either in my last episode or the one before that, I cannot remember, but I was talking about the show The Office, which is a show that I love, by the way. Um, but I was talking about an episode or a storyline where the the character of Dwight kills the cat of his girlfriend, his girlfriend Angela, and my argument was that there was, you know, this was a sitcom and there was really nothing funny about killing your girlfriend's cat, even if your argument is that it's a mercy killing or whatever the case may be. And a few people gently took exception to that. And and so I just wanted to revisit that again for a moment because I, I do, I actually think there's an important point to be made here. And, and here's what it is. So I will stand by the point, first of all, that I don't think any sitcom, I don't think any show would have a storyline where one character kills another character's dog unless they unless they are really trying to kind of freak you out. Um, I, I think that it is not a, the kind of a storyline that they would have had if Angela, the character of Angela, had been somebody who had dogs instead of cats. And again, the character of Angela is presented as a quote-unquote crazy cat lady. And although that phrase is never used, it it is certainly heavily implied. She has a lot of cats, 
and there's something weird and kind of off about how into her cats she is and how many cats she has. And so this is a, a already off the bat, a trait that we as the audience understand is kind of a funny thing or a weird thing about Angela. And so when her boyfriend, who she sends to her house to provide medical care for one of those cats because she is too busy to do so, kills the cat instead and calls it a mercy killing, it's not that I think we're supposed to laugh at that. But it is supposed to be redeemable. We're still supposed to be kind of bummed that the two of them break up because of it. And over the course of the series, the two of them get back together. And we as the audience are supposed to be rooting for it. And and candidly, I, I did root for it. I mean, by the end of the series, I was rooting for the two of them to get back together. I, I am as apt to fall under the spell of a good story as anybody else. And obviously, this was not something that made me stop watching the show. But I do think that it was a poorly conceived storyline and one that should not – That it, I, I almost want to say it was irresponsible. And here's why. Um, I have one friend who something like this happened to. She there, – there was a – not her boyfriend, but a man who was romantically interested in her and who she was friendly with. And she had an elderly cat who she, to whom she was providing – you know, giving pills and providing ongoing care and treatment for his his elder, you know, his senior cat health issues. And this man who fancied himself in love with my friend um, came into her home. He sometimes like repaired or fixed things around there. So he had a key and killed her cat and claimed that he did it out of love for her because he couldn't bear to see her suffer through the unhappiness of having this sick cat who she was taking care of. And I probably don't have to tell you that in real life, this was not a guy you were rooting for. They, they, they were not a couple you were hoping would work it out. He was a profoundly disturbed man. I don't think there's any scenario in which somebody kills your, in which a romantic or intimate partner kills your cat where you should interpret that as anything other than a direct threat to your life. Somebody who kills, and it doesn't just have to be a cat, but somebody who kills any one of your pets not only does not have your best interest in mind, that, I mean, to say that that's a red flag is, like, like it's almost too, at, at that point, I would say it's almost too late for the flags. Like, it's gone too far. The, the red flag is the thing that lets you know that something worse is coming. Um, the only thing worse that could be coming than this is he moves on from killing, or you know, or I suppose she moves on from killing the cat to killing you, um, which is also something that that happened to a friend of mine, um, a, a woman who I grew up with. I went all you know from elementary school all the way through high school graduation with her sleepaway camps, um, the whole thing. And back in the 90s, when we were in our 20s, she she had an abusive boyfriend with whom she broke up finally. And um, yeah, and and he, uh, I mean, tracked her down is the wrong word because he knew where she worked, but she taught at an elementary school. And he was there waiting for her one morning when she pulled her car into the parking lot. And he went to her car and shot her in the head. And... She he did she did not have a cat that the man killed. Um, but my friend who did have a cat, who the the man who who claimed to love her 
did kill. You know, the, the upsetting thing for her in that situation was that there were people in her life who should have known better, who kind of tried to make the case for this guy. His heart was in the right place. He thought he was helping. It, it's just a cat. Oh, my God. It's just a cat. And and again, at this point, it's not even about the cat, although that is its own horrible thing. But nobody who harms one of your pets has your best interest in mind. Anybody who harms one of your pets deliberately is a sick person who you need to get. I mean, your next step should be a restraining order. It shouldn't be a conversation about where the relationship can go from here. And so it, it, I mean, obviously, look, this was a storyline that was on the show years ago that obviously still rankles. Um, and like I said, I part of what bothers me is the certain knowledge that they would never have written a story like this about a dog. It would not have been, I mean, funny maybe is the wrong word, but the character had he murdered her dog, I don't think would have been considered redeemable. He was redeemable because it was only a cat. It was just a cat. And she has lots of cats anyways. So it's not even like this cat is so important. And again, none of these things were said, but I feel like they were all heavily implied. Um, so that that angers me. And it, I also feel and – and look, no TV show has to be – has to bear the burden of promoting socially responsible messages per se. But by the same token, I don't want to see – abuse of people's pets as something that gets normalized either because it's not normal. It's a really, really messed up situation. Um, and, and, and I will conclude this by saying that I've been to a lot of shelters, animal shelters over the years. One of them is an organization whose current status I'm a bit iffy on, so I don't want to give them too much promotion um, right now because i'm i'm not sure if if they are still operating and and if their mission is still what it was uh but one of them was a, an organization that i visited as part of my love saves the day tour oh my gosh 10 years ago um and and they weren't a shelter so much as a sanctuary and their what they did was they provided temporary shelter for animals who have been separated from their humans due to illness um, financial situations that may cause somebody to be transitioning between homes and not have a place for their pets right now. Uh, natural disasters where, again, you may not have a home for yourself at the moment and, and you have no place to bring your, your, your pets. But they also provided care for pets belonging to women with violent domestic partners because one thing, of course, that a violent domestic partner will do to maintain control over you is to threaten to harm your animals. And a lot of women found that you've or continue to find themselves in the situation of not being able to bring their pets with them to a shelter, to a shelter for, for women with abusive partners, um, but cannot leave their cats or dogs alone with their violent domestic partner for fear of what that violent domestic partner will do to their animals. And my my point being that if there is something you love and you have a violent or abusive domestic partner or intimate partner, they will try to harm what you love. They will try to harm your animals. And I will reverse that and say that somebody 
who actually loves you and has your best interest at heart is not going to harm your animals, is is not going to take end-of-life decisions regarding your cat away from you by stuffing the cat full of Benadryl and then shoving him into a ref- into a freezer. Um, I, I think it was an irresponsible storyline. I think they created a unicorn kind of a situation where they gave you a couple that you're rooting for in the long term, even though the, the man has killed the woman's cat. That is not a thing in real life. And I think even promoting the idea that harming something you love is consistent with loving forgivable behavior is in and of itself irresponsible. I just do. Again, I don't think any TV show or or any movie or any book bears the responsibility of having to promote socially approved responsible messages, but but I do think that this one was too irresponsible. Um, I, I don't think there should be any doubt in any person's mind. I don't think if they're trying to think of a situation in which someone they love might might love them and yet still kill their cat, that that's not a thing. That's really not a thing. That's not a thing that happens. It is not I, – I feel it was very irresponsible to portray it. Um, and and I again, it's it's you know my concern, admittedly, in this situation. If I'm being candid, is primarily for the the women who suffer this abuse. But I have also been to a number of shelters where I've seen animals. You know, I've seen the animal victims of violent, intimate partners. Uh, there was a, a shelter, for example, in many of you who follow me on social media have probably seen some of my pictures of Tricky Muse. From the shelter, Good Muse, um, Tricky Muse passed away eventually of old age a few years ago. Um, but but Tricky Muse was a cat that Good Muse, a no-kill shelter in Atlanta, um, took into permanent care. She All of their cats were available for adoption except for Tricky. Um, Tricky had been shot by her owner's boyfriend, who, you know, her owner was – her owner's boyfriend was violent and abusive and as a way of threatening her, shot – her cat, who was paralyzed at that point from the waist down, um, and was very well, you know, had to, I mean, she couldn't walk, and she needed to wear a diaper all the time. I will say I, I was there. She was given a great deal of attention and love, and she had other cats to interact with, and it was not a bad life for her. It was, I mean, there are worse lives to be lived, and and nobody has to tell me how how easily, or maybe easily is the wrong word, but how eventually a special needs animal can can adjust and adapt to just about anything. I would not say that 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 Tricky lived an unhappy rest of her life, but it should never have happened. Um, and again, this is you know, I'm sure anybody listening to this podcast already knows this. Um, but I, you know, I did get some some commentary and some feedback, and and I don't want to be too argumentative. And and I, again, I did watch the show, and I enjoyed the show. This was just one storyline that really rankled, and it rankled on every level. Like I said, it, it 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 that it was supposed to be, you know, not if if not funny because it was a cat, then at least it wasn't as bad, and it wasn't as big a deal on so, in some way because the character was like weirdly obsessed with cats to begin with. And ultimately, the character who killed her cat was a character we liked, and we were rooting for the two of them to get back together as a couple. And I just think that all of these things are very irresponsible and and actively harmful kinds of messages to be promoting out there. Um, I'm sorry that that's just the way I see it. 
And now it is probably time for me to move on from that subject. Although, again, I will say that I'm not sure why it's funny when cats are harmed. I understand that, that cats can be funnier in general than dogs are. And, and a certain amount of physical comedy, like, yes, it's it's funny when comedians do that kind of physical, physical shtick. I mean, the, the Three Stooges are hilarious because they're always hitting each other, I guess. I think that's more of a guy thing. I've never really been into the Stooges, but I appreciate that the, the physical violence is at the root of that comedy. But when all is said and done, I you know, it's one thing for for a couple of people to slap each other around and for that to be played for comedy. Um, I, I, I don't think there's really anything ever funny about hurting an animal. And part of that is because it's not a fair fight for the most part. You know, the Three Stooges are roughly all the same size, I guess. And and probably whichever one is currently being hit, he can hit back. And it's just not the same. It's just not the same when when the target of of the humor is an animal. And it's just something that makes me uncomfortable, particularly when it's a cat, uh, where it's being portrayed where the, the thing that the violence that's happening is funny because it's being committed against a cat. And again, the office is this is just one example that I came up with, but I, I feel like it's it's out there a lot. And yeah, just just not something that I personally find to be particularly humorous. I'm going to move on uh, from from this very negative topic and on to a more positive one because here's something that I was wondering about and I have my theories but would love to hear what what y'all think. Um why is it so gratifying to feed an animal? I and and it unquestionably is. And I think if you are a person who loves animals, then part of that is being a person who finds it incredibly gratifying to feed animals and to watch them enjoying the food you have provided for them. And let me just say, I feel no gratification whatsoever in cooking for my husband. I do like to bake, and and so that's gratifying, and I love seeing people enjoying something that I have baked, but it's just a different kind of thing when it comes to to feeding Animals, and I guess uh, as as far as a a squirrel update goes, I I am continuing to feed the squirrel on my back. So there's now actually three squirrels and a cardinal, and the cardinal's wife. Um, the cardinal is the a bird. The cardinal, not not the ecclesiastical office. Um, but the there there are three distinct squirrels. I can tell who I am feeding. Uh, I, I try to give them just enough nuts for a treat, but not so many that they don't have to continue to forage for themselves because I do not want them to become too dependent on me because anything could happen to me. I, I want my I want my squirrels to know how to fend for themselves and how to take care of themselves. Um, one of the squirrels is is female, and I think she might be pregnant because her nipples have suddenly become very noticeable. Uh, the other two are boys. Uh, one of them is is very hyper. And he has developed the unfortunate habit of leaping onto the screen door in front of the the actual door that I open when I'm feeding the squirrel. So part of the issue is that the the, sc- the door that leads out onto our back deck, um, the top half of that door is glass. It's a, this very thick kind of leaded glass that might be original to the house. It, it seems like it might be very, very old. So... I can see them and they can see me. They know when I'm coming to the door and they just jump. And in front of that door, 
is a, is a screen door. I mean, the idea being that you can go out onto the deck and leave the, the door open, but you have a screen door closed so bugs don't get into the house, right? Um, and so the squirrel leaps onto, <laughs> onto that screen door and I, I don't want to push it open and throw peanuts while he's on it. All I need in my life is for the squirrel to get into my house. Uh, although I think my my cats, who are obsessed with watching these squirrels, which, if I'm being honest, is one of the main reasons I continue to feed them, that would probably be a big party for them. But it would not be at all anything even remotely like a party for me. So I'm I'm trying to break the squirrel of that habit by refusing to throw out any nuts if he is anywhere in the vicinity of the door. Uh, so those are so three squirrels, uh, two little boys, and and one little girl. And then there's a cardinal. I did not even know that cardinals ate nuts, but apparently they do. And there is a cardinal who has figured out that I am basically like a human-shaped Pez dispenser. And when he sees me in the doorway, and he does seem to distinguish between me and my husband because he does not come for my husband. But when he sees me in the door, you know, just even if I'm just in the kitchen, he lands on the deck railing. Uh, closest to the door that he can see me through and cocks his little head. And and so I throw him a peanut and he uh, takes the peanut and flies a few feet away to where he enjoys it with his wife. I assume she's his wife. She is the the female cardinal that is always with him. Unless he's with a different one every time. I don't actually know if cardinals mate for life, but my guess is that it's probably the same female cardinal every time and, and that she and that they do mate for life. I'm I'm not really sure. I am embarrassed by this gap in my knowledge. Anybody who knows more about cardinals than I do certainly can feel free to enlighten me on this one. But anyway, I, I cannot deny that there and and I will say I I Yes, a big part of the reason I do this is because my my cats find it exceedingly entertaining, and it really does keep just keeping a vigil and looking out there for the squirrels. Really does keep Clayton occupied, which when I'm working is more important than you would think it would be because Clayton he's not one of those cats who tries to get on the computer keyboard or or he he doesn't mess with the computer or the computer mouse or anything like that. Uh, but he does need attention all the time. It is in a constant need for uh, for attention. And this is something that keeps him occupied for a while because the squirrels will hang out or they'll hang out in the backyard, you know, close enough for there to be something for him to watch. And when they finally do, after several hours, just clear the backyard for the day, he is tired from from his very alert vigil and he sleeps very nicely as if he sinks into a very nice nap for several hours, which again, you would think, well, yeah, he's a cat. That's what cats do. And fair enough. Cats love to nap. But Clayton doesn't sleep as much as you would think a cat would, especially when something is engaging his attention uh, or when he's trying to get my attention. When we have guests who come over, if those guests show a tendency to be interested in Clayton or want to pet him, he will stay with them until they leave. If they are here for three or four hours, then he is awake and alert and and actively engaging with them for three or four hours. And he will then sleep like a log afterwards. But you would think most cats, they, somebody comes in, a new person comes in, the cats get attention, and then eventually they kind of wander off and, and go to sleep. The same thing with dogs, truth be told, uh, but not Clayton. Clayton is, as as long as something is is engaging him or interesting to him, he will stay awake. 
And it, it actually does really become more of an impediment to my work than you might think it would. And while it is a delightful, Clayton is a delightful impediment, uh, who I really, really, really do just, you know, it, it's never, it's never a hardship for me to, to stop, you know, work, which is never as much fun as playing with your cats. So it is as much my fault as it is Clayton's, um, because he find he finds attention from me irresistible, and I find Clayton himself to be irresistible. And so the two of us, I mean, it doesn't really matter from Clayton's perspective, but of course, from my perspective, this, this is how I end up losing mornings, or at least losing a big chunk of time in the mornings. So it is sort of working out for everybody. I, I know that there were some trepidations initially, and those concerns, I think, are, are well-placed, but this is what we are doing here for now. And so far, the only real downside seems to be that there's just a, this tremendous accumulation of peanut shells on our back deck, which I have promised faithfully to sweep up and and fully intend to do so one of these days. Lawrence, if you're listening, I promise, I promise I will get around to it eventually. And on that note, I definitely have some Sunday housework ahead of me. So I'm going to say goodbye for now. But thanks so much for listening. And please do join me again next week. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me and don't forget to hug your cat today.